Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Are you ready to look in Leviticus? Let's do it. All right, so we've been in this series on the names of God, that God reveals himself to people in their circumstances. Uh, for some of you, uh, you have kind of a, an intellectual understanding of God because you've read scripture. Maybe many of you know the flow of the story. You could open up the book of Genesis and you would be able to recognize a lot of people. I mean, good luck with some of those names, but you know what I'm saying. You would be able to recognize a lot of people. There are narratives that are kind of really popular that kind of stand out. Now, how many of you, though, would be willing to trade just an understanding of Scripture and what Scripture speaks about God to actually experiencing something of the character and the attributes of God yourself? That's why we've been looking into the names of God is that people would find themselves in circumstances and they would know that God is the provider, but they would experience the provision of God in ways that they had never experienced before. For some of us, unfortunately, spiritually, we like the abstract part. We like the part where we read scripture and we see, oh, God did deliver them from the Egyptians. That's awesome. I never wanna be in the place where I have to be delivered from an Egyptian. You see the difference that I'm getting at there? Because on the one hand, we love the flow and the arc of scripture. We love the redemptive narrative. We love to see how God works. I just don't wanna be put in a situation where I've personally got to experience it. Well, that's why we've been talking about the names of God is because all of us will be put in circumstances where we have to lean in to what scripture is saying, even though in the leaning in, it's going to make you very uncomfortable at times. You have these moments where spiritually you see that God is squeezing you. And for some of you, when you're being squeezed, you're finding out what's really inside of there. You know, you thought it was orange juice and it was Dr. Pepper, right? You know, that surprises me. Maybe some of us in the squeeze, we realize we've overestimated where we are in our relationship with Christ. And we see the areas that we need to grow. That's a good thing. It's painful, but it's good. Today, we're gonna learn something about God. And it's that God is the one that has the power to change you. God is the one that has the power to sanctify you. God is one that has the ability to take you from where you're at and to change you into who you're supposed to be. You're going to experience him as Jehovah Mekadesh, the God who sanctifies you. How many of you have ever run up on a, a property and you see this no trespassing? Well, I have. Uh, I haven't always paid attention to those signs though. Anybody other than, is this just my moment of confession? I was thinking about it as a kid. Uh, I remember running around with some friends and there was this graveyard uh, that is kind of out in the sticks, you know, but it was said to be there. And I remember thinking, well, I, I've just got to go experience this for myself. Well, the problem was is that this was private property at this point, but you know, that didn't really keep me from going. So I took, this is the worst idea of all time, by the way. So I was out with a girl on a date. <laughs> And I had talked with some friends and I said, you know, I've got this great idea. It's a horrible idea. Uh, she and I are going to go out. But after, after we're done, y'all want to hook up and kind of meet up at the gate and then go out and see what this graveyard is about? And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. And that's when you know that when you're a teenager, your biscuits aren't all cooked, right? 
So sure enough, we pull up to the gate and there it is, this big no trespassing sign. This is private property. And I took that more as a suggestion. And so did my friends. And so we hop over the gate and we're walking through and it is, it is dark out there. There is nothing else out there except for us. And we have our lights. And you know what? The girl that I was on the date with, the date was over officially, by the way, in case you haven't figured it out. So there we are walking through the woods and all she's saying is, is I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And we get out and we see the graveyards and some of the, the gravestones. Went out and you see that some of those had been there for a long, long time. Now, nothing happened. Here's the reason that I bring it up is because when you talk about no, no trespassing, what you're really trying to do, the sign is trying to tell you, this is a place that you're not meant to be unless I tell you that it's okay for you to be here. Well, did you know that there's this time in the life of the Israelites where God was saying something very similar to them? That there's a place that they were going to be, it's just not yet. And they're in this place in life where they're kind of transitioning. They've been delivered from the oppression of the Egyptians. After 400 and something years, probably you would think that's a good thing. And they're going to a place of promise, but they're not there yet. If you look at scripture, uh, they've been delivered from the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. They're headed toward the promised land or Canaan in the book of Numbers. And in between those two books is a book that a lot of people don't read. And on the one hand, I can kind of understand it because the more that you read it, you go, what in the world's going on in this book? But it's the book of Leviticus. Sometimes the book of Leviticus is known as the book of life. It's sometimes known as the way of life. If you read all of the books of the Bible, there's no book that mentions the atonement more than the book of Leviticus. It's mentioned over 58 times that there is a need for us because we have this broken relationship with God for that relationship to be put back together. So even though it's relatively obscure and many of you in your Bible reading go, Genesis, Exodus, you need to understand it's an important book because for them, it's this book known as the way of life is basically a way of them preparing for the place of blessing that they're supposed to go. God's preparing his people to enter the promised land. In other words, it's about how to worship and how to walk with God before re-entering a place that they had before. It's a book about the expectations of God when they get to the place of blessings. For some of us, when we think of expectations, we kind of think of our expectations out of God. We think of what it is that we can get from God. And the best way to know that is, frankly, take a hard look at your prayer life. How much of your prayer time is spent with questions about what you can get? That would probably be a pretty good indicator that you have a lot of expectations on what God can do for you. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. There's nothing wrong at all. But this is a book about what God is asking out of you. And there is a difference. So the reason that God provides it is he wants them to learn things on the way. I want you to learn things on the journey so that when you get to the promised land, this is just a natural part of your flow of life. This is just who you are. And the process where someone or something is set apart for a purpose or a plan is called sanctification. So the question that we have this morning is, is how sanctified in Christ are you? Now to be clear, someone or even something can be set apart for God 
or it can be set apart for not God. You can set all kinds of things apart. You can set things apart and use them for evil means and ends, or you can set things apart for the glory and honor of Christ. But we set all kinds of things apart. And to be clear, when you look at 1 Timothy 4.4, it says everything created by God is good. Everything. You're a created thing. Everything set apart by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. How many of you have expressed thanksgiving for all the things that you've received this week? But then Paul says this to Timothy. Since it is sanctified, notice all of creation is good, but it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. God takes a good thing, it's already called good, but sets it apart in two ways, the word itself and through prayer. It's consecrated through those two things. It's set apart. You see God setting some things apart, even back in the book of Genesis, chapter two, verse three. God declares the Sabbath as a day that is holy. It doesn't mean the other days are bad. You know, you're, this day is special. What about the other ones? Ah, oh, you know. No, they're good days. This one is set apart. You see God doing this all the time. God then says, don't forget that. Remember the Sabbath day. He says, remember the year of Jubilee where you kind of let the ground rest. You would forgive the debts that people would have to, from one person to another. He says, don't forget that. And don't treat things that are, uh, treat as common things that are sacred or special. One of the things that I've come to believe is that we've lost, generally speaking, we have lost our sense of the sacred. We just lost it. Uh, there's, there's not much that we set apart anymore as sacred or special. Everything is treated, unfortunately, as very common. And I don't just mean things. I include people as well. We don't treat people, unfortunately, as if they're created in the image of God, that they're special. We just don't. Instead, we live in a culture that likes to cancel people. What we like to find is we like to find people in their flaws and then to run them out on a rail. We live in a graceless age. Now what I'm not trying to say is that we should condone the wrong choices that people make. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is, is that the culture that we find ourselves in is totally at odds with the concept of grace and forgiveness. That if you're actually forgiving somebody in our culture, that's a sign that you're weak. Whereas in scripture, no, that's a sign that you're strong. That you've actually tapped into what grace looks like. And that forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one that is forgiving. It always comes at a cost to the one that is forgiving. And that's the world that we live in. But if we see people as created by God, flawed of course, but we respond to them and the grace that God has shown to us, don't you think that this world would look a little bit different? Actually, don't you think the world would look really different? I think it would. And so today we're looking at another name of God that appears in Leviticus chapter 20, verses seven and eight. This is the God who sanctifies you or us. Here's what it says. It says, consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. How many of you had decrees when you were growing up in your home, 
Anybody have a mom and a dad that had some decrees for you? Uh, what were some of those decrees? Clean your room. That was probably a decree. Uh, pick your stuff up off the floor. That was probably a decree. Here was one of the decrees. Jeremy, go mow the yard. That was a decree. By the way, and I just want to point this out. I'm the youngest of three sons. And when I graduated from high school and I went off to college, my dad bought a riding mower. <laughs> just saying. That was a decree. The question was, am I going to listen to the decree or am I not going to listen to the decree? Some things even in your home you have probably sanctified. There's some things even in your home that you have set apart because they hold something special to you. Uh, when we were moving from North Carolina back to Texas some years ago, I kept my grandfather's dog tags from World War II on me. I wasn't gonna let a mover touch those things. Uh, the reason is, is because they're set apart in my heart. Those dog tags, they mean something to me. If you were to go into our home, uh, our marriage certificate is in, it is in a uh, cylinder that even if the house burns completely to the ground, that cylinder isn't gonna burn. And the reason is, is because, well, one, it was a gift and that was great. Uh, but beyond that is because there's something on that piece of paper that I never wanna forget. That on December 15th in 2001, I married Wendy. And that piece of paper, it has a very significant meaning to me. It's special to me. I hope it's special to her too, right? We consecrate all kinds of things. And notice in Leviticus 20 verse seven, it says, consecrate what? Yourself. Consecrate yourself and be holy. There are things that you just treat differently because they're special to you. And this is why the first commandment in scripture is what it is where God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse three, I'm the Lord your God, and you'll have no other gods before me. The problem is, is we do. But God is saying don't. It's not just that God, it's not just that you're not supposed to have other gods before. The Hebrew there is really interesting. You don't need to have a God that is above me, underneath me, in front of me, or even behind me. In other words, with the way that you view me, there isn't anything that should come close to how you esteem me. There's not another voice that should be louder than mine. That's the way you consecrate me. God is to be set apart. God is not supposed to be just one of a number. Even in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, he says, keep all my decrees and laws, follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you, notice they're not there yet, so that the land that I am bringing you to may, may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations. I'm gonna drive out before you because they did all these things. And because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I say to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart. There it is, Jehovah Mekadesh. I have set you apart from the nations, from everybody else that is around you. You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to. Otherwise you get spit out. Like I'm about to spit them out. There are some things that holiness just can't swallow. It doesn't fit. It's like if you put poison into your system and you throw it back up, it's because the poison wasn't meant for your system. There are some things that holiness just can't swallow. It's gonna throw it back up. 
And with this, God has gotten to the point where he said, I've extended them enough grace and mercy, and now it's time for judgment. They're gone. Clay Jones has done a lot of work on some of these passages in the Old Testament that are particularly difficult. You know, you think of the Canaanites and God casting them out and some others. And he said something that was very interesting. He said a lot of us, especially nowadays, we have a hard time looking at a narrative like these where God is literally casting people out, where God is pronouncing a judgment on people. He said, I think in large part, he said, I've given a lot of thought to this. He said, I think in large part, the reason that we struggle with this is because frankly, we don't hate sin like God hates it. We just don't. You know, we'll put up with anything we wanna put up with, but when God draws a line, we're like, hey, that's too far but we draw our own lines. He says, no, God is saying, set yourself apart so that you don't look like everybody else. Here's what they were gonna run into when they were going back into the promised land. People that were messing with magic, people that are literally having sex with their own family members, people that are having sex with animals. He says, you're gonna run into these things You see this, he says, you have children that are cursing their parents. You see it in verse nine. People that are committing adultery and don't care. You see it in verse 10. You see incest in verses 11 and 12. And like I said, bestiality in verses 15 and 16. Before you go in, I just want you to know that's what's waiting for you. This is the stuff that God was driving them out for. In essence, he's saying be different from them. Honor your word to me. We've made an agreement with each other. I'm taking you to a place of blessings. Don't mess it up. See, often what we want is we want the blessings of God without the obedience that's connected to them. And he's saying it just doesn't work like that. A lot of what's gonna happen between me and you is gonna be conditional and whether or not you listen to me. Alan Mosley, an Old Testament scholar said, our holiness arises from a relationship with God And we demonstrate holiness in our relationships with people. And he's right. Friends, you've been set apart. And your sanctification is the practice of what you have been set apart for. You will be different from everybody else. Notice he says, I set you apart from the nations. And as for the nations, how did he describe them? I hate what they've become. I hate it. Now, the reason that he hates it is because what they have become is exactly what would destroy them. You're going to make choices that will lead to your own ruin. And that isn't what God wants for anyone. I mean, how much more loving can God be than one, not to bring judgment immediately down on somebody's head, but instead in every single narrative, what you see is God sends a messenger that says, you gotta change. You just gotta change your way because what God wants is their blessing, not their harm. He says, so I've hate what they've become. Did you know that God could say the same thing even about us right now? So that's the warning to Israel. Before you go in, if you become like them, you're gonna lose me, just like they have. Or like Paul Copan says, if you continue to say no to God, you just get no God. That's the way it works. And there does come a point where God says, okay, then I'm gonna let you live with the choice and you won't have me. When it comes to our sanctification, three things to keep in mind. When we talk about setting ourselves apart for God, there are three things that I want you to remember and I want to challenge you with today. Here's the way that it begins. The first part of setting yourself apart for God is positional. And here's what I mean by that. 
when I came to Jesus, I was 11 years old. And there was something in my relationship with Jesus that changed that day. I had gone literally from unforgiven to forgiven. My position with Christ changed. I was now in standing as one of his children, one that had accepted the grace and the mercy that he had been offering me for years. My position with him changed. You can see this even in scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. All believers were so, sanctif- were so sanctified as saints, the youngest as well as the oldest, the most carnal, the most sinful person that you can think of, that was all taken care of positionally when they said, Christ, I'm accepting you. It all changed. That's one part of your sanctification. That's one part of putting yourself aside for Christ, is accepting Christ. But then there's more than that. It's what do you do now that I've accepted Christ? And that's the present aspect of your sanctification. For those that are online, as well as those that are physically here today, I guarantee you that there's a part of your life that you are still not set apart for Christ. It's just one of those lingering sins that it's like it just never seems to go away. This is experiential sanctification. This depends on our knowledge of Christ, our faith and our position in Christ, our willing to confess things to Christ, to hand them over to him, then lean into his Holy Spirit to root that out and to change things. That's an experience that you didn't have before. That's what it means to have experiential sanctification. The question for you isn't, do you have something that you need to still sanctify or set apart, but what do you have that needs to be sanctified or set apart? I can't answer that for you, but you can. And then there's this final aspect of sanctification. There will come a time where we see the Lord. I have no idea when that's gonna be for you. I have no idea. What I can tell you is that you will. This is the future aspect of being set apart for Christ. Scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, in 1 John chapter 3, says when we see the Lord, we are made like him. We are sinless, we are sickless, we are deathless. Everything changes, and it's unalterable. It's a quality of life that frankly we have a hard time understanding here But he says, there's a blessing in the future for you that you don't currently experience, but that one day you will. And what we're doing as we kind of day by day when we wake up and we see the parts of us that just gotta go, it's not fit for our salvation in Christ. It's like the Israelites on the journey to the promised land where he says, I want you to be holy right now because I want you to be prepared for the place that you're going. I want you to be set apart for the place that you're going and also for the good of those that are around you. As I was thinking about it over this last week, I was reminded of this uh, story and I love it because there was this girl, she had come to church and she was talking about she wanted to be a member of the church and there was nothing wrong with that. So she was talking with the deacon and the deacon just wanted to confirm a couple of things. One, that she had accepted Christ. That's kind of important. We're not a country club, we're a church. So she was sitting down with the deacon. Have you accepted Christ? And the answer is yes. And he said, well, 
were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? And she was like, that's kind of a weird question, but yes, sir. He said, are you still a sinner? And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I kind of feel like I'm a greater sinner than ever. How many of you feel like that? Don't raise your hands. And he asked this question. He said, what real change have you experienced? And she goes, well, you know, I don't quite know, um, except, except for this. I used to be a sinner that was running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner that's running from sin. She goes, that's, that's as good as I've got. But that's all she needs. That in her state, she ran to Christ, and in continuing to put herself apart, she keeps running to Christ. Did you know it's no different for you and me today? So I want us to have just a moment where we pray, and we do this every week, where you can have a moment where maybe you can lay something down at the feet of Jesus. His spirit is in this room. He's given us his word for our good and for our blessing. That means that there are some times that it really does confront us. This isn't the moment where you can look to your right and to your left and you can identify your neighbor's sin. That's not what this is about. This is a time where you, before the Lord, can look inside of yourself and ask what still needs to be set apart for your good and for his glory. You need to be honest with yourself. But honestly, today with the deacons, uh, we were praying this morning for those of you that were coming in today and you were coming in without Christ. What we had prayed is that today would be the day that you find him. There is no other savior except for him. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words, not mine. I'm just quoting the Lord. Those are his words. The question for you today is, have you come to him? What we do know is that when we do come to him with all honesty, transparency, a sense of brokenness over the mistakes that we've made, and we've all made them, what we know is his grace is sufficient to cover it. All he's asked of us is to come to him. See, we believe that the wages of sin is death. But we also believe that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We believe that. And what we had hoped is that today you would accept that. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.